Man, I love it when you guys clap for Jody. That was so nice of you to just kind of, you know, tell him what a great job he did on announcements. So that was, that was great. Do that again next time. I love it. Um, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to open God's word with you again. And if you're joining us online, so thankful that you're tuning in as well. Uh, we've been looking thematically through the book uh, of Proverbs at some really important uh, subjects that are kind of addressed throughout the book. And so, man, if you've been here in the past, you notice, man, there's just a lot of different scriptures we're looking at. And uh, today we're going to be looking at what the Proverbs has to say to us about our words, about our words. Now, just so you know, in the book of Proverbs, the words tongue, mouth, lips, and words are mentioned almost 150 times. And the, the amazing thing is that's when it's specifically talking about our words, but, but many times it's talking about our words and not using those words to, to, to tell us that it's obvious uh, about it. And so what you, what you realize as you read through the book of Proverbs is you can't get through a single chapter without understanding how important our words are. I mean, it just, it's just pervasive. It's loaded throughout the whole thing. And so just so you know, as we work our way through this, I'm just skipping a stone across the top of the water. We're just going to get a little short glimpse of all that, that uh, Proverbs has to say to us about our words. And please understand, when I say words, I'm not just talking about the words that come out of our mouth. I'm talking about our texts. I'm talking about our DMs. I'm talking about our posts. Because every time we share in communication, that's what the Proverbs is talking about when it's talking about our words. So really important for us to understand. One of the reasons why words are so important is because they reveal whether we are wise or whether we're foolish. Abraham Lincoln is credited with this next statement. I love it. My parents told me this when I was just a little kid and it stuck with me a long time. But here's what he said. He said, it's better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. You guys ever heard that one? Man, that is so true. Better to be thought a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all the doubt. I uh, love that. Man, our words say a lot about us. Uh, they tell an awful lot about uh, us as individuals, about our character, about our values. Uh, the question is, if you were to be evaluated, if you were to be placed on a scale of one to 10, based solely on your words, one being foolish, 10 being wise, where would you land? Better question, do you want to move toward a 10? Would you like to be a person who's known for the wisdom that comes from the words you use? And again, whether it's out of your mouth or whether it's on your social media or just in the way you communicate with other people, do you want to be known as wise? Would you like to move toward a 10? I hope your answer to that question is yes, because we're going to learn some things I think that are going to be really helpful to get us all moving in that direction. Uh, our our, our uh, text this evening uh, primarily is going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. We've actually got it in your notes. So you can look on it there. You can open up God's Word uh, on your phone or, or if you've got to your hard copy with you. Just follow along with me. I want to read Proverbs 4, 20 through 24. Here's, uh, here's what uh, Solomon says. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are a life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. 
Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. And I just want to pause right here uh, and let's ask God to bless his word as we open it together. Father, You're the teacher in the room that we need to listen to. And so God, I just pray that your spirit might uh, just speak through your word. God, I pray that you would not allow me to get in the way of anything you wanna communicate. I'm so glad you know each one that is here tonight. You know exactly where they're at. God, if you were to evaluate them, you could put them exactly where they're supposed to be on that scale. And God, I know you know, even if they want to move toward wisdom, I know you know just how deep that desire is. And I just pray, God, even if the desire is lacking, God, that you might motivate them, that you might compel them to desire wisdom, to desire to be people in the way they use their words, God, that it would just be a a growth, a growing part of, of who they are and uh, how they touch other people's lives. And so God, would you just speak to us tonight? God, we, we want to hear from you. God, we just wanna say, we're, we're here. We wanna learn. God, that's why we're here. And so God, speak to our hearts now. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. Well, in this passage, we're gonna see three perspectives on the use of words. Three perspectives on our words that are critical for our understanding and for our growth and wisdom when it comes to how we use them. And so I wanna give those to you right up front. We'll kind of go through them individually in just a minute, but uh, the three perspectives in these, th- in these verses are this. Number one, our words can be hurtful. Number two, our words can be helpful. And number three, our words come from our hearts. Our words can be hurtful, they can be helpful, and they all come from our hearts. And so we're gonna kind of take some time and look at each of those three perspectives on our words. And I I think you're gonna be probably convicted at some points and you're gonna be encouraged at some points and you're gonna be driven. You're gonna be driven to your savior, I hope, today because oh, how we need him when it comes to our words. You ready? Let's dive in. All right, here we go. Let's consider uh, first that last verse that I read to you earlier, verse 24 of chapter uh, four, uh, that talks about how our words can be hurtful. That's your first fill in the blank. Our words can be hurtful. Here's what Proverbs 4.24 says. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, when we hear the words perversity, and we hear the word corrupt, we, we think of uh, two very different things. And, and actually, these two words are very similar in, in the Hebrew uh, language upon which our English is based. When we think about perversity, we, always, we usually think of it in terms of, uh, of a sexual kind of a term, a sexual perversity. When we think of corruption, we think of it in terms of ethics or morality. Someone is corrupt. But, but these two words at their core speak more generally of a twisting or a distortion. Uh, essentially, um, it's, it's talking about when our words become twisted or distorted. They're intended to mean this, but they just, they get tweaked. 
You understand what I'm saying? It reminds me of when I used to go to, uh, to, to, the, to the lumber yard with my dad. Uh, my dad was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. And I remember helping him frame up, some, uh, frame up a, a, a shop and frame up a, a garage and frame up a, you know, a whole bunch of different things. And I remember the first time I went with him to pick out lumber and he grabbed a two by four and he held that thing up and he looked down it. And I was like, dad, what are you doing? And he said, I, I, he, said, he, he said, I need to know if this board is true. And he would look down and he would look to see if that board had been twisted. He would look to see if it was bowed or, or if, it, if it had a, kind of a, a warp to it. Because when you're framing up a house, if you're using lumber that's twisted or warped or bowed and you're putting all those together, the way they relate to everything around them is not true. And your wall's going to be warped and crooked and it's going to be hard to get everything plumb and level. And, and so it was very important to him as he picked those things out. And that's the idea of, this, of these two words, these, these words called that we think of very differently, perversity and corruption. It's talking about a twisting a distortion, a bending of our words. Specifically, when we bend our words, we hurt other people. And the reason why that is, is because what we do is we bend our words for our own benefit. Rather than using words as they're intended, as God would have us use them, we twist and distort and bend them because we're trying to get something that benefits us. Let's look at five different ways throughout the book of Proverbs that speak about how we twist words so that we get the benefit. First way we twist words is through flattery. Look with me at Proverbs 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. And like I said, we're going to be skipping the rock across the top. I could have, I could have given you 15 more verses on flattery. Um, you know what flattery is, right? Flattery is when we use words that are supposed to be complimentary, but they've been twisted to serve our purposes, to manipulate the hearer to the will of the communicator, the flatterer. That's why we flatter, right? We say things that are seemingly true and seemingly nice, but the reality is, is we're trying to manipulate the person that we're flattering. We tell people what they want to hear so we can get them to do what we want. It's flattery. And it may help you in the short term but it always hurts the person you're flattering. And so the writer of Proverbs reminds us, don't twist your words and flatter people. Another way he talks about our words being hurtful is he talks about gossip quite a bit throughout the book of Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 20, verse 19. It just says this, a gossip betrays a confidence. I like that. It's a really good definition. A gossip betrays a confidence. So anyone who talks, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Has anyone ever shared your personal information without your permission under the guise of being helpful? 
But the goal was not to, not to help you, but to help them. Has anyone ever done that to you? It hurts. They wanted to elevate their status in the eyes of the people that they're talking to, sharing this juicy nugget of information about you. Probably information they shared in confidence. And man, that hurts. There's a rule of thumb we use amongst our staff at HGC. You'll hear it often. And it goes like this. It's not your story to tell. It's not your story to tell. There are many times when by the permission of someone on our staff, information about them will be shared and then we're reminded, guys, it's not your story to tell. We wanna bear one another's burdens. We wanna lift one another up in prayer. But when it comes to sharing that information, man, so many times we can use it to benefit us and in the process hurt the ones that we say we're sharing it with to help. If I could add one thing to that, I would just say this. If you don't have permission, don't share it as a prayer request. There's so much gossip that happens in the name of prayer and it's just wrong and it hurts. Okay? Number three. Third way we can hurt with our twisted words. Uh, by being argumentative. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel, quarrel is like breaching a dam. So stop the matter before a dispute breaks out. That's pretty clear, pretty straightforward. I mean, being argumentative is just plain hurtful. So again, let me, let me have you just think in terms of a scale of one to 10. On a scale of one to 10, are you more of a peacemaker or a peace breaker? A peacebreaker is a one, a peacemaker is a 10. Are you more likely to initiate agreement or argument? Are you an argument starter or are you a peacemaker? Using our words to pick a fight distorts those words for our own distorted purposes. And it hurts. It hurts. Next, we see uh, that the Proverbs addresses two similar things lies and false witnesses, or false witness. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, I love this passage. If I could encourage you to memorize something, I would encourage you to memorize this because it says this there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detached testable to him. If you want to know what to do to just really make God not happy with you, here are seven things. <laughs> so be my guest. But I think it's important for us to, to consider these. The first thing is haughty eyes. And I just want to stop right there because I just want you to notice it's not spelled H-O-T-T-Y. Okay. These, these, this is not somebody with gorgeous eyes. All right. This is actually prideful, arrogant, uh, you know, uh, kind of eyes, the kind of, the kind of look that a person has in their eyes when they're full of themselves. And that's detestable to the Lord. But then he says this, a lying tongue. That's detestable to the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. And then listen to this one, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
I want to just focus in on a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. The reality is, is, is for many of us, it's hard for us to discern a difference between those two things. What's the difference between a lie and bearing false witness? Well, they, they are related, they are similar, but a lie is telling an untruth about something. A false witness is telling an untruth about someone. Important note, in the Ten Commandments, look back at Exodus 20, you can read through them. Number nine is not, thou shalt not lie. It's thou shalt not bear false witness. And I think it's important to make a distinction. Telling a lie hurts other people indirectly. Bearing false witness hurts people right to their face. False witness is character assassination. In either case, they're both intentionally false and they're both misleading. They both, both benefit the one telling the lie, again, at least temporarily. And they both hurt. But can I just tell you something? If you tell a lie about me to someone else, that hurts more. We need to be careful about how we use our words, especially when it comes to twisting the truth for our own benefit, whether it's about something or it's about someone. One more, <laughs> one more way that we twist our words. Here it is, talking too much. Proverbs ten nineteen says this, sin is not ended by multiplying words. You can't stop sinning by, t by talking more. The prudent hold their tongues. I love what James says about this in James 1.19. He says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The reality is the less we listen and the more we talk, the more likely it is that we're using our words for our own benefit, twisting them the more we talk. Sometimes we need to tell ourselves to shut up before somebody else has to. Again, Abraham Lincoln's words apply here. Better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth a lot and remove all doubt. Are you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Hadn't this been fun? All right, it gets better, all right? gets better. The good news is that our words don't have to hurt, right? They don't have to. They can also be used to help. Proverbs 4 gives uh, this perspective as well on our words. Look at verses 20 through 22 again with me about how our words can be helpful. He says this, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Now, if hurtful words are those that we use, we bend and twist and we use them for our benefit, then helpful words are those we choose 
for the benefit of others. Did you get that? If hurtful words are those we use to benefit us, then helpful words are those we choose to benefit others. Hurtful words come so easily, so quickly out of our mouths or from our texts or our DMs or our posts, but helpful words come carefully and thoughtfully before we ever share them. Again, let's look at some of the specific ways the Proverbs encourage the wise use of helpful words. Proverbs 19, 20 to 21, talk to us about counseling words and the helpfulness that they are. Listen to this. Listen to advice and accept discipline or instruction. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I don't know if you know this or not, but every single one of you in here is a counselor. I mean, not in the professional sense of that, but every single time a person comes up to you and says, what do you think I should do about, and you offer advice, instruction, you're counseling. It's what counselors do. And every single one of us has opportunity to speak into other people's lives and offer them counsel, advice, instruction on how to live life. But good counselors and helpful counselors understand the importance of verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's pur- it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. L- let me see if I can describe it this way. I, I um, remember the first uh, year that I played church softball. Uh, I was a track guy in high school. I always ran track, didn't play baseball. Um, but the the church softball team needed some young, fast dudes on it, and so they, they asked me if I'd play church softball in the summer. So I remember as a ninth grader going out and playing church softball, and they put me in the outfield because I could cover some ground. I was pretty fast. And uh, one of the things that they taught me was when a ball was hit in the gap, and I had to turn my back to the infield and run out to get the ball. When I turned around, one of the infielders... Uh, usually I was in right field because I wasn't that reliable. Um, but usually it was a second base would come out. And what, what he was supposed to do is he was supposed to line up the throw. In other words, when I turned to run and chase that ball and get it, I lost track of where the runner was, what was going on behind me. And so when I picked up that ball and I turned, I wanted to throw right away, but I needed to know where, the, where to throw it. And so the infielder would come out and he would line up between me and where the ball was supposed to go. So when I turned around, I would throw that thing as hard as I could right at that guy's head. And if, if the person who was supposed to get the ball said cut, he would catch it. And if he didn't say anything, the guy would let it go right past him to the person who was to catch him so he could tag a guy out or whatever was going to happen. Does that make sense? Counseling is a lot like that. Because, you know, in life, we get turned around. Man, we, we, we get off running somewhere and we don't know what's going on behind us. And sometimes we need to be able to turn around and look at someone and have us line up our throw. We need someone who understands what God's purpose is in this particular situation and they can say, go this way. Does that make sense? Anybody ever been there in your life? I know I have. 
get kind of just lost or distracted or just kind of a mess. And I turn around and I look for someone wise and I say, please help me. And they say, go this way, do this. They help line me up with God. And can I just say, that is helpful. Counseling words, wise words, advice, instruction, alignment with God's purposes, so helpful. Those are the ways that God wants us to use our words. Let's look at another one. There's also such a thing, it's pretty similar, but let's talk about for a minute correcting words. Listen to Proverbs 15, and we'll share three different verses. First of all, verse five, it says this, a fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Skip down a few verses in that chapter to verse 31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Let me ask a real simple question. If you were at a gas station and you had a friend, he just bought a brand new diesel pickup. You're riding in his truck, right? And he's going to fill it up for the very first time and he gets out and he grabs the pump that's not the green one. He grabs the regular gas and he's about to put that in his diesel truck. Now, if you know anything about that, that's, a, that's kind of a no-no, right? You don't wanna do that. Would you say something? Would you say something? That's called correction, Someone's about to do something that's potentially harmful and you're, you're stopping them, you're correcting them, you're saying, don't do this, do that, put that pump back, get the green handled one and put that in your diesel truck, right? Correction. Well, we do this all the time. We see people doing something that could be harmful to themselves or other people and we, we say, whoa, 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 not that, this, correction, right? But let me ask you this. What if your friend shared a post of an article that said, watching porn with your spouse is healthy for your marriage? Would you say anything? Would you correct him? The reason why I bring up that, that example is sometimes it's easy to correct, sometimes not so easy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, difficult. Feels maybe too personal. But can I just say, correction's always helpful. When we speak the truth in love, whether a person likes to hear it or not is not the issue. Whether they respond well or not, is not the issue. Correction is always helpful when we're speaking truth in love. Again, it's not to twist and distort those words for us. Like we're not trying to narc on someone or get somebody in trouble. We're trying to help them. Out of love, we wanna share truth. Does that make sense? Correcting words are another way that we can use words the way God intended. Let me move on to another one, encouraging words. 
encouraging words. Look at Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Proverbs 15, verse 23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Verse 30, same chapter. Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Can I just ask, has anyone in here ever not needed encouragement? (laughs) I mean, it just seems to me that encouragement is always needed. It seems like I always need it. I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life when I said, man, I'm so tired of being encouraged. Would you you stop being so nice? (laughs) But you know, there's a difference between being encouraged when everything's going just fine and being encouraged when we're struggling, right? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Some of you may be thinking right now to yourselves, man, I could sure use some encouragement right now. I'm struggling. I need someone to put some courage into me. That's encouragement, right? And I hope you receive some soon, but can I give you some encouragement? The most encouraged people I know are people who encourage other people. You see, when we feel the most discouraged is probably exactly the time when we need to look for others who need encouragement. Too often for me, when I get discouraged, I, I just turn inward and reclusive and I'm thinking only about how hard my life is. But there's something about lifting up our eyes, looking out at the people God has placed around us and saying, you know what, that person needs encouragement today and I'm gonna be the one to bring it. You see, it's interesting when you read back through these Proverbs on encouragement. Well, just let me give you one specifically. Proverbs 15, 23, we read it earlier. It says this, a person finds joy, not in receiving encouragement, but in giving an apt reply. The reality is, is encouragement comes as much in the receiving as it does in the giving. In fact, sometimes it comes more from giving it than just receiving it. Encouraging words are helpful, not only to the receiver, but also to the giver. The last one I wanna just focus on briefly, uh, but it's probably the most, the most important. The Proverbs talks a lot about life-giving words. Life-giving words. Listen to Proverbs 10. Verse 11, it says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Verse 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed or nourish many. Chapter 11, verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and the one who is wise saves lives. Notice in all three verses, it talks about a righteous person. It talks about their mouth or it talks about their lips or it talks about the fruit that, that, they, that they give. And each time it talks about them being a fountain of life or feeding many or saving lives. I want you to just 
please understand, this is not saying that you become righteous by giving life-giving words. It's not like if you start doing this, you're gonna be, be all righteous. What this is describing is what characterizes righteous people. Righteous people are people that, that love to give life-giving words. So, are you righteous? Do people want to listen to you or follow you on social media because the words you share often give them life? They often refresh them like water on a hot day in the desert or they often, your words often nourish the listener's soul like a good meal nourishes a tired body. Or maybe think about it this way. When was the last time you shared the life-giving news of the gospel with someone. Proverbs 18:21 tells us that the power of life and death are in the tongue. The reality is it's really one or the other. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Of all the words that we could share, <laughs> I hope you would grab this one. Let us consider how we can spread life-giving words, especially those of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Man, what could be more helpful than that? All right, let me move right along. So we've seen two perspectives. Our words can be hurtful. Our words can be helpful. Last perspective, our words come from where? They come from our hearts. They come from our hearts. Listen to Proverbs 4, 23, one more time. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Jesus said something very similar to this in Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35, say this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings out good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. The reality is that if it comes out of your mouth, it was because it was already in your heart. If you say hurtful things, it's because your heart's jacked up. Does that make sense to anybody in here? It's too many times I'll say something to my wife or my kids and because they're usually the ones that get the worst out of my mouth. Anybody else like that? And, and I'll say something, and, and, and then I'll think to myself, I can't believe I said that. Anybody else ever said that? I can't believe I said that. You know what you need to tell yourself? Believe that you said that. Because the only reason why you said it is it's in here. It came out because it was already in. Or sometimes I'm like, if you wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have said that. Anybody ever done that? You kind of blame shift. But if it came out, it was already in. Nobody else put it there. It was there. Oh, the words that come out of our mouths when we're driving in the high desert. Oh, but if it came out, guess where it was? It was in there. It was in there. Because our hearts are jacked up. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says that. The heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked or beyond cure. Who can understand these hearts? 
man, they're jacked up. And if that doesn't concern you, then listen to what Jesus said next, verses 36 and 37 in Matthew 12. But I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For your, by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why? Because it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. Man, that's sobering. And so can I suggest that rather than wait for judgment day for God to judge you based on your words that come out of your mouth, maybe we ought to do a little evaluation. That's why we put it in your notes. Three questions I really want you to seriously consider and reflect on. Question number one, how have my words affected my reputation? What are you known for? Are you known for being hurtful or helpful? Do you twist words for your own benefit or, or do you choose words? for the benefit of others. What's your reputation when it comes to your words? I think it would be really helpful to do some evaluation. Second question, how have your words affected people? Not just what do they say about you, but how have they affected other people? Have other people been left wounded, hurting, angry? disappointed because of the words that you've used? Or have other people come out encouraged, counseled, corrected with life? How have your words affected other people? Third question, what do your words say about your heart? For me, Mike, what do my words say about my heart? So let me suggest some next steps based on this evaluation thing that I'm asking you to do. Would you do me a favor? Would you ask? Would you ask for evaluation and accountability? Would you find someone you trust? Find a wise person that knows you well and that you trust and ask for help. Because again, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My biggest problem is I don't even know my own heart. So it's really helpful if I have people in my life that can speak to me about what they hear coming out of my mouth and hold me accountable for it. Second step I would encourage you to take is this. Just own what you speak. Again, don't, don't blame shift. Don't say, I can't believe I said that. Own it. If you said it, own it. You said it. So own the things that you say. If you called somebody every name in the book because they cut you off on the, on the 15, that came from your heart. Own it. Own it. Okay? And then third, do this, pursue a change of heart. Pursue a change of heart. This is, this is not the easiest thing in the world, but here's what I would ask you to do. When, when it comes out of your mouth, say, what was it that I wanted that made that come out? 
Because most of the time, James 4 says it very well. Where do wars and fights come from? Don't they come from your desires that wage inside your members? Man, our desires are the things that, that, that motivate our heart and push words out of our mouths. We want something, and so we say things that we ought not to say. We, twi- we, we twist, we distort, we bend words because we want something, and we're not getting it, and so we're gonna use our words however we can to get what we want. So when it comes out of your mouth, own it. And then say, God, what in my heart needs to change? And can I tell you, (laughs) most of our desires are good desires. Most of the things we want are good things. But good things become bad things when they become ruling things, dominating things. Let me say that again. Good things become bad things when they become dominating things. So if I want comfort, Good thing, right? I desire comfort and I don't get it. You know what happens? That desire can begin to dominate my heart and out of my mouth come things that ought not to come out. Driven by a desire for a good thing that's now become a bad thing because it is dominating my heart and I'm willing to twist my words to get what I want. Does that make sense? So pursue a change of heart. Number four, think before you speak. Let every one of you be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think before you speak. Just slow down. Don't think that you need a quick reply to every, everything in every conversation. Think before you speak. And then number five, listen more than you speak. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Just think about it. Listen before you speak. Let me close with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 tell us some really important stuff about Jesus. He committed no sin, Peter says. And he's quoting from Isaiah 53, by the way. Jesus committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they heaped abuse on him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes, you are healed. It would be really easy for you to think that what Pastor Mike is saying to you is that you just need to work harder to be a better Christian. And that's not what I'm asking for. See, Jesus could not be condemned for his words. Even when he was suffering unjustly on the cross and bearing our sins, he didn't sin with his mouth. He could not be condemned for his words, but he suffered and he bore the condemnation we deserve for ours. If we were to stand before God and be judged only on our words, forget our actions, if it was just the words, we we would all deserve to be apart from him eternally in hell. Why would he let us in? It's because Jesus bore our condemnation 
He bore our penalty for all of our sin, including the sin of our words, even though he never sinned. What I want you to understand is that your hope is not in a better performance, in your ability to reform or to control your corrupt mouth and heart. Your hope is in Christ. It is by his stripes. I'm healed. You're healed. We're all healed. Oh, would you turn to Jesus with this, with this corrupt tongue that comes from a jacked up heart and say, God, would you continue to deliver me through the power of your son, my savior. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you that these words that, that come out of us just simply reveal what's already in us. And oh God, we, we want to be helpful. We don't want to be hurtful. We, we don't want to be all about us and what benefits us. We want to be about other people. And yet deep in our hearts, we're so messed up. We twist things for our own benefit. But that's why you sent your son so that number one, we could be free from the condemnation we, 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 we rightly deserve. God, we should all spend eternity in hell apart from you. Even if it was only based on the words that we've used in our lives. God, thank you that you gave us a savior who bore our sin, who paid the penalty we deserve to pay. We thank you for Jesus. But God, we also want to thank you that, that, that it's not just about forgiveness, it's also about transformation. God, that you want to speak to our hearts by your word, through your spirit, through your people. God, you want us to evaluate what's going on in our hearts and change us from the inside out. So that even those good things that we want don't become bad things because we're willing to trust you. God, that if we want something good like comfort, or we, we want something good like acceptance, we won't be willing to go to war to get what we want, to twist our words so that we can have the thing that we desire. God, let these good things, God, even when we're lacking them, be, be things that we just hold open-handed and say, God, Thank you that you provide all the comfort and the acceptance that I need and that I don't have to twist my words so I can get what I want. I can trust you that you'll provide it. God, just keep working on us. Oh, how we need it. And I realize maybe in this room today there are people who don't understand the saving power of Jesus Christ I just want to explain it as simply as I can. It starts by A, admitting that you're jacked up like the rest of us. It's called sin. It separates us from God. And if you can A, admit that, then would you B, believe that God didn't want you to be separated from him. He gave you a savior. His name is Jesus. 
his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, the fact that he's ascended and is sitting at the right hand to intercede for those who believe in him is your salvation. Would you believe that Jesus can save you from your sin? And if you can do those two things, then just see, put your, choose to put your trust, your faith in him. He'll deliver you. He'll change you. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, God, for the continued ongoing saving work that you do in us progressively day after day. God, help us to grow wise. Help us to use our words in a way that honors you, that, that, that is in alignment with your good purposes. We love you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us tonight. God, help us not to forget it. Help us to keep working on these things that you've convicted us of. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.